0: I'm really excited. Today's guest on the podcast is Wilma Wilbanks. Uh, Wilma is the
1: uh, president of my national fraternity, and she's also an amazing person. She's accomplished quite a bit with her life, and I'm really happy to have the opportunity to talk to her. So thank you, Wilma, for coming today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. (laughs) So Wilma, let's talk about where you grew up and what your childhood was like.
0: Oh, I'm Southern. I grew up in Leland, Mississippi, in the heart of the Mississippi Delta, uh, in a a town that was um, uh, approximately 4,000 people, uh, so very small, and so small that people I didn't even know as a child were allowed to correct me downtown, (laughs) and my mother always knew what we had done before we got home, so yes, it was a very small town in I think my brother and I had a great childhood because my grandparents were there and we had just a raft of uh, great aunts and uncles, several of whom had no children. And so we were, we just had this large extended family. And so there was a, there were many, many family gatherings, lots of fun. And I learned so much from all of them, but we also had a great neighborhood after school every day, everybody got together, and then when it got to be supper time, then you went back home. Yeah. Uh, but so there were always, you know, ten or twelve or more people my age in the afternoons, and we were hitting tennis balls and shooting basketball, and we were outside, and it was fun. Of course, now looking back, I think goodness, I must have been hot a lot. But <laughs> anyway, it was one. It was a wonderful childhood, and I was very lucky to know. Some of the people in my age group, uh, I enjoyed them so much, and I think we learned a lot from each other as well. So having, yes, definitely,
1: Um, Mm -hmm. having extended family around you as a support system growing up, that must have been really amazing. Were there different um, activities and careers that your family were involved in that impacted you and
0: influenced you with your decisions later in life? Oh, very much so. Of course, almost, I mean, the majority of the people in my family were pharmacists. I mean, we've had way over 30 in our family, but we, uh, we also had farmers and grocers and, you know, the odd dentist, nurse, or a couple of doctors. Then the people who were not, uh, the spouses who were not um, pharmacists ran the front end of the store. So I grew up in a retail environment that feeds my spirit, that interaction with people, because, um, those personalities very much have impacted who I, who I grew up to be. Yeah. And I'm so glad. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: What type of activities did you participate in by the time you were in high school? Were you very involved in high school and different activities?
0: Oh, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Well, again, a small town, but I played basketball, I played tennis, I ran track, and our coach was a huge influence on on my life and on the lives of all of my friends, because when if you were in his starting lineup, that meant you played every sport, and when you weren't practicing, then you were pounding the pitcher's mound or lining off the football field, or Doing the same for the baseball field, and so we were all together in that spirit of teamwork. I think, and of working, of working and participating and being part of a team is probably what um, I think led me to to want to be in a sorority Mm -hmm. because I'd been part of a team in high school, and and I loved it.
1: When it came time to decide where you wanted to go to college. What factored into those that decision?
0: <laughs> Do you want me to answer that honestly? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I'm from a family that tests well. Yeah. Okay. Just a, it doesn't pay anything, but it, but it's a it's a skill. So I applied all over the country, oh, wow. and I will not name the institution, but it's a very prestigious institution, and I had a, a full ride. I had I was very fortunate to to have been offered a number of scholarships, and I was offered. You know, I went to Ole Miss, and where I was a carrier scholar. And over dinner one night in this 1976, I casually mentioned to my parents that I was going to accept the scholarship at this very prestigious institution, and and that was that was what I was going to do. And my father, with whom I was very close my entire life until he passed away, uh, we were so much alike. He didn't even look up. He just said, no, you're not, baby. You're going to take that scholarship to Ole Miss. And and the appropriate answer in my, um, you know, with my uh, family background was, yes, sir. And I said, yes, sir, and never never looked back but he, he he elaborated a tap. He said, That's too far away, your mom and I can't get to you. It's cultures are different and, and I'm not sure, you know, I just don't think that this is best for you. I said, Yes, sir, and I went to Ole Miss and he was exactly right because the culture was something that these are people who were similar to me, you know, and similar to similar family backgrounds. You could always play do you know. And within four questions, you you were either related, or you everyone be the same people, whether they were from Mississippi or not. If they had come from out of state, they came because of a relationship with a family, you know, member, and you could you could identify with people. Plus, with the pharmacy background and so many pharmacists in the family, I had I I had a little bit of a an adopted family in the faculty in the pharmacy school because they'd all known my my parents and my grandparents and aunts and uncles, you know, for years.
1: So you, ha- you mentioned, you know, your family has a background in pharmacy. Was there any point when you ever thought, maybe I want to do something different with my life, or was it just, this is what I like, and this is what I want to do, and you were pretty much on a straight-line path headed into education?
0: I will tell you that when I got my library card <clears throat> at a very young age, I, I immediately started bringing home books uh, about archaeology, and I was determined that I was going to be an archaeologist And that lasted, you know, probably through elementary school. And then I never wanted to be anything but a pharmacist because at that point, I, you know, in our family, you started work uh, on weekends and holidays as soon as you were tall enough to see over the counter. And so I started in, you know, in gift wrap and then was promoted, I was promoted to the the soda fountain. and then i was able to be a floor walker because mom and daddy realized that with my personality that i'm i sales is something that i enjoy and and am, you know relatively successful with it and so i worked my way all the way up through the store and i there was nothing i wanted to do except be a pharmacist
1: What values do you think that it instilled in you from a young age being involved in a family business from the ground up?
0: Daddy's big saying, and I didn't realize until a couple of years ago that it was not his original. He said that everyone who walks in the door has the letters M, M, F, I on their forehead, which is make me feel important because they have paid us a compliment by choosing to come into our store. And we return that compliment by providing, you know, exemplary customer service. So I learned to appreciate people and love people. I think perhaps that's something that everyone doesn't have because people, our culture tends to try to put people in boxes Yes. you know, to check, check this box and to separate people. And I think when you're in a family business, it's more homogenized because I think we, there was one big box and those were the people who cared enough about us as a family and trusted us enough as as a family of pharmacists and uh, healthcare providers to choose us. In, in return, we were very devoted to them and to this good day, and I'm a Walgreens pharmacist and have been for 14 years, my husband will say, and he is a pharmacist, but a hospital pharmacist, but my husband will say, Wilma, well, you, you don't have to care that much. This is not people's drugstore. This is Walgreens, and I said, it is people's drug yeah. because wherever I am, it is the legacy of my parents and my grandparents and how I how I serve my patients is a direct reflection on how I
1: was trained. Oh, I think that's wonderful. What a wonderful family value to pass along to you. That is great. Let's move forward and talk about starting college. Some of the activities you were involved in in college, we mentioned that you joined a sorority. Was this uh, a first-time thing in your family to be in a sorority, or was there a history of sororities and fraternities in your family?
0: My father had been in a fraternity, which I had no idea about until I was preparing uh, to go through what was known as Rush at the time. But I was the first female in the family. There had been a couple of, of... men in the family who'd been in fraternities, but I was the first, the first one. And I've uh, gone after everyone since me to, to be a Delta Gamma, so.
1: (laughs) You know, when you go through Rush, anyone who's, who's been through that experience knows that you're being exposed to a lot of different uh, organizations very quickly what was it about Delta Gamma that attracted you to want to join and be a, a DG
0: sister? A couple of things. If you'll give me a minute, because there's so much. Let me let me pull it all together. Yeah. Um, number one, uh, there were women from, I didn't know anything about sororities, uh, but there were women in my hometown, um, some very close to my age, some were in college at Mississippi State, some were my mother's friends. They were Delta Gammas and they told me the story of Delta Gammas founding in Mississippi and what a huge honor it would be to be a Delta Gamma member. And then they told me who all from my little tiny town through the years uh, were Delta Gammas. And so when I went up that summer for orientation I met some Delta Gammas. Of course, not a lot to do in a small town when you're growing up. So you go through your parents' annuals, you know, from college and that kind of thing. And they were everything. So I was involved. And I knew. I mean, I knew what the activities were on old Miss campus because I had read all the old yearbook. The Delta Gammas were in everything. They were involved in campus politics. They were in honoraries. I you know, they were involved in service. They were just doing everything and they were having a wonderful time together doing it. And that's what I really I noticed how much they really enjoyed each other.
1: Yeah.
0: Whatever I love working hard, but I think you should have fun when you're doing it. And I noticed immediately how much they liked each other and, and cared about each other. And I was I was drawn to that. Were there additional
1: activities that you were involved with? Because you mentioned you were involved in a lot of athletics in high school, was that something that you continued on with when you were in college?
0: I did play intramural for uh, for Delta Gamma, play basketball, play tennis, won the spades championship two years in a row because my my family were big. Uh, cards and dominoes players growing up so I I was a little bit of a ringer in that but I was very very involved with campus politics. I was in the Senate ultimately the president of the women's students. I was involved with Panhellenic. I mean I had a uh, it was like a full-time job almost looking back it makes me exhausted to think about it but I was involved in many many activities, clubs honoraries you know uh, chancellors Committees, you know, where students had input. I was I was very fortunate to be able to be a part of a number of those things, um, and ended up in the hall of fame uh, for my year. Uh, I was one of the members of the hall of fame um, for the university.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to say that you're an overachiever, but you sound like you're an overachiever, Wilma.
0: <laughs> you were involved in so much. I like so to much. be busy. Yeah, I like to be busy, and you know we. As my husband and I still say and people, say, y'all are so busy. How do you do it? We'd say, well, you know, we don't watch television. <laughs> <Yes>. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful.
0: I, and I, I met a lot of people because the line to all of that is the more involved you are, the more people you meet, different people. Yeah. You know, you broaden your opinions and your exposure and you just meet a lot of interesting people.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. I love that. And you grow and you learn. What were some of the things that you learned not only about life but about yourself in those formative years by being involved in all those
0: different activities? Well, I will say that one of the things that I learned while I was in college that I think was has been so helpful to me and I'm so feel so blessed that I learned it, is that I was told you know on bid day they said we will make all your dreams come true Mm -hmm. and i learned a couple of things from that one is that my dreams were very small Mm -hmm. and they taught me that dream big yeah don't don't dream small dream big and then the other thing that i learned that i think has really cemented who i am is that when you're in a group in a team that large they make your dreams come true but then you help make their dreams come true mm-hmm. and it's that kind of of broad and supportive teamwork in your family of choice which is your sorority that that really i think i think young women particularly in that time were taught to be competitive whether it was a subliminal thing or unintentional thing but you were com- you were more competitive during your high school years. And then in college, you come together with your group and you work together toward common goals and you help one another. And I can't tell you how many times it's happened that more than one of us wanted to do a certain thing. And we would just say very pragmatically, you know what? You've got a better shot at that than I do. Let's do it. And it was very even handed and I just think it teaches you to be to be broadly supportive and unselfish in your you know in your aspirations because you begin to aspire for other people
1: yeah and
0: and say what are your dreams what can I do for you how can I help you
1: yeah
0: you know and, and that was an important life lesson having been the only girl in my generation in my close family you know, my nuclear family and my, that Leland, Mississippi family, it was wonderful for me to be able to learn um, what other women were interested in. And then to find out how I could help them achieve what they wanted to achieve. And then in the process, learn why they wanted to achieve what they wanted to achieve. And, you know, it's just a great learning experience. In this day and age, there's so many
1: young women who are college educated, educated and working out in the fields that have traditionally been male dominated. But back in the 70s, you were on the forefront of what was the the women's movement. In the, in the 60s in terms of being educated as a pharmacist, being kind of on the leading edge of not only being an educated woman, but being out there in the work environment. What was the job market like when you first got out of college, and how did that impact your career?
0: My aunt, my mother's sister, was a pharmacist, and her sister-in-law was also a pharmacist. So, the first women in my family to graduate from pharmacy school graduated in the 50s, in the early wow. 50s. I was following in in footsteps. There was a path already. Mm-hmm. And the job market was, was you know, much more open as far as I'm concerned. I think it was much more open then than it is now because there, there were fewer pharmacists. Uh, there weren't as many pharmacy schools. And I could have done a number of things. As a matter of fact, the only time I ever did something that my father told me not to do uh, was that he really wanted me to go to medical school. And I was, I was going to, we were, everything was in motion. All I had to do was sit down and take the MCAT. And even if you look back at my college yearbooks, it says, you know, and she, you know, she aspires to, to be a physician. But my grandmother died. The matriarch of our family died um, the summer after my fourth year in pharmacy school, so I had one more year. And so, what I chose to do was to move back home and go to work in the family business. And that was that was a choice that was, I feel, looking back, that that was what I was destined to do because I got to work with my parents for 18 years, and then we sold the store when daddy wanted to retire because it was getting kinda dicey about, uh, we were down to three family members and then we hired people to work for us, but um, I wouldn't take anything for those years because not only for me having that time with family and with the wonderful people of Leland, Mississippi to the honor of being their pharmacist, but when my son was born, I didn't worry about what did did we do. We had an office next door with connecting door and he had a full play area and I got to take him to work with me. And so he was exposed to the same, many of the same experiences in childhood that I had. Yeah. It was a winning combination. (laughs) And I'm glad that's the path that I took. The family's support. It sounds like made a
1: huge difference in your life and in your choices. You mentioned, you know, about the mentorship that you were able to have from your family members. Were there other mentors in your life during this time frame that you look back and you're very thankful for values
0: that they instilled in you? Thank you so much for asking me that. One of our advisors at the Delta Gamma House was a council member who was from Columbus, Mississippi and she had a huge impact on my life. Having been raised with so many great aunts and uncles, I loved older people and enjoyed older people and and still do. They're harder to find now (laughs) because I suddenly discovered that I have become one of the older people. I, was, I always seemed to be the youngest wherever I was. The first one who, or the youngest one that, or the first female, whatever. And But anyway, this lady became my closest friend. And for, for 36 years, uh, I was in Columbus, Mississippi every four to six weeks. She spent Thanksgiving with my family. And all the younger, the next generation that came along, all the cousins' children called her Aunt Eleanor, and they didn't know that she wasn't their aunt. They had no idea. But she had a huge impact on my life because she saw that, and she gave me some very good advice about about my sorority. She said, love your chapter, do, but don't chain yourself to that small view of what delta gamma really is yeah go to conventions look out and see what other delta gammas are doing because if you don't you'll miss the whole thing you'll miss the true scope of what do good really looks like on an international level and that was very good advice and i've made so many friends again it's the personal relationships yes it's it's hard work and uh, it, it's it's truly an uh, an avocation and a passion but it's the people it's the women that one meets and who are cherished dear friends that that really matters yeah. that's what really matters
1: I think that was wonderful advice to a young person because when we're young, We are so focused on what's right in front of us, and as we get older, we realize there's a much bigger picture. So you had someone who was older, experienced with life, telling you when you were still young, hey, there's a bigger picture out here, and you need to see it. That's great. I love that. Let's talk a little bit more in detail about being a pharmacist and your career, Tell me about the, the types of certifications that you have to have to be a pharmacist. I would think that there's some type of continuing education. There's probably some things involved with that that you have to keep up on in order to be current in your profession.
0: Uh, tell me about that. Absolutely. I have to have 20 hours a year of continuing education because you can imagine that there are literally hundreds of new drugs every year. I'm also certified to give immunizations, which is very commonplace today in pharmacy. I was certified in uh, 1997. So I was in the first group of pharmacists in Mississippi. And there were just seven or eight of us who were, who were trained to provide immunizations. And it's a huge part of my practice today. And because I'm chairman of the P&T committee, for, which is pharmacy and therapeutics committee for Medicaid and have been for a number of years, keeping up, I get a lot more education um, every year than uh, than I document because mm-hmm. you have to step up on everything in order to make the therapeutic choices for the preferred drug list for the state of Mississippi. And I'm married to a hospital pharmacist, which is really fun because, you know, we, we're we constantly talking about new drugs and did you know this or have you read this study or, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or Bob will come in from work and he'll say, well, he used to bring paper and now he just tells me the, the website or where to look. But, you know, he'll say, you know, I read something today that's really going to be of interest to you. And so also, we think when you're in a family of healthcare professionals, we keep one another uh, because, you know, my son is a doctor and, you know, we, again, it hasn't been that long. We have lost a number of family members, um, you know, in the last 10 years, but but we always, our, our Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving dinner and Fourth of July always had a table of Healthcare professionals debating, you know, the direction of, of therapy and where we thought they needed to be going yeah. in treatment of certain uh, of certain conditions, and you know, darned if we weren't right a lot of a lot of the time. Yeah. So um, again, a team effort. A team effort. But you learn so much from other people mm-hmm. who are in the same field. Interesting that you mentioned some of
1: the changes that have happened in your profession over the years, where do you see the profession that you're in headed in the next five to 10 years? Do you see some changes on the horizon?
0: Absolutely. And if daddy were still alive, what he would say is, baby, we've been doing that. You're just going to be paid for it. Because now there are paid consultations. And one of the things that I do a lot of is I make time in every day to do some of those paid consultations. But I grew up in in the perfect place to learn because I listened to my grandfather and my father and my aunt giving, you know, really giving people not only their educated opinions, but because we were in a small town, there's just such a high level of personal regard and care for one another yeah. and respect for the patient. And I think that's something that I'll tell you this, if you will just indulge me, yeah. I, my picture was in the paper. You asked me if I was involved in college and I was a little bit of a Stepford student. And so every in our little small town newspaper, my picture was in it every week. And so I came home from college Went to work the first day and I don't know what my expectations were, but I guess I thought that, you know, brand spanking new degree that people were going to come in and, and they would. They'd come in and hug my neck and tell me they were so proud of me and they were looking over my shoulder, looking for my father, their pharmacist. Yeah. And you have a choice there. And I think this is something that everybody can take advantage of in their professional careers. You can either be very resentful of that, or you can do what I did, which was, I'm going to watch everything he does. I'm going to learn how to do it. Yeah. And it wasn't long before people came in the door and started asking for me. Yeah. And uh, in my current work situation, my boss is someone who was my student in pharmacy school because I'm a preceptor. I teach clinical You know, retail pharmacy for the old mess. And then she came to work for me. And because I saw in her what was so familiar to me from the other pharmacists in my family, I saw that she had what it took to be empathetic and professional at the same time, which is so important. Then when my father died, I was very involved um, with his with my mother and my brother in settling his estate and that took several years. And I was also chairman of the board of trustees of the Delta Gamma Foundation at the time. So I was busy. And so I stepped down as the boss and I said, hey, let's switch places. And we did. And I love working for her. I have to tell you. But we do the same thing. And I've watched in her, I've watched people, you know, who, who would look over her shoulder looking for me. And now some of them come in and say, hey, Wilma, and well, before, prior to COVID would give me a hug and, and say, is Ann in? Yeah. You know, I feel a great deal of joy. I feel that as a teacher and a co-worker that I was successful because I helped another woman establish her career and be successful.
1: Yeah. I love the humbleness that you speak of that it takes... You know, people think um, being successful in our careers and our lives sometimes means stepping on other people and not necessarily. Sometimes being humble and helping others and lifting others up is the, the greatest form of success. And I love that you mentioned that that's a value that you carry in your life. Let's talk a little bit about one of your hobbies. I noticed that you're involved with antiques. Am I correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me how you got into that and just tell me about it. It's it's fun seeing the different estate sales that you have going
0: on. I mean, it started very young. Remember I wanted to be an archaeologist. Yeah. And um <clears throat> I spent a lot of time in my grandparent's home and great aunts and uncle's homes. And and there was a little antique shop called, some people in town called it a junk store. Um, But it wasn't to me. It was magical. And I remember uh, that I would go around there and I would browse. And this lady was so nice to me because I was probably in the fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you know, when I started going and, And she just would answer all of my questions. And, you know, I would save up and, you know, with my little allowance and I would buy some little something. I was always interested in art and antiques, just always was. So a number of things that I have in my home today, I bought either in Leland when I was in school or in Oxford when I was in school. And I'll tell you, if I hadn't bought some of the artists, then i certainly wouldn't be able to afford to to have them now
1: yeah
0: the boss Stocks estate sale company belonged to a couple of friends of mine and i was their customer for years and then when they discovered that i could add figures in my head and add sales tax without writing it down that i could just do it because i'd worked in a store my whole life they wanted me to be one of their cashiers and so i did that and then when one of the Partners passed away. Uh, my husband became the other partner in Boss Fox. So there are three of us: Bob and I, are, and our, our friend Mike Chiz. And she is, you know, she has her areas of expertise. I have mine, and Bob has his. And then our team, we have, uh, we just have a, a a team of people, each of whom has areas of of focus where they really do know more than anyone I know about certain things yeah. together. We, again, it's another, we learn from each other and we have such a good time together while we do
1: it. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about it? Are you more of a furniture person or a art person or a dishes? What, what's your favorite? Oh dear. Well,
0: here we go. The truth is about to come <laughs> out. I think furniture, while I, while I appreciate furniture, you know, furniture uh, was designed to store inside or to hold smalls. Yeah. Okay. I love I love accessories. I love china. I think we're up to twenty nine sets of china now because <laughs> uh, my husband also he does not discourage me there because he loves them too. We love to set a beautiful table. Yeah. And and we both love art. Um, so, it's not that we don't like furniture, but um, furniture serves its purpose. Yeah. It, it holds all the things we love. Have you spent
1: time visiting different museums throughout the U.S. over the years as part of your love for antiques?
0: I have, and I, and in Europe as well. I am a museum goer, mm-hmm. and um, I always had a deal when we went on family vacation <coughs> with children you know, they got to do a fun thing, but for every fun thing that they did, we had to do something educational, yeah. which meant museum. Bob loves to go, when he goes to a museum, he goes to the things that interest him, and he has this wonderful vision of being able to experience a whole museum without going item by item. And I'm more left-brained, which means that I stop at every exhibit. And then they go get an ice cream cone or something, and they wait outside. And then when I'm finished, I, I, I join them. You know, we all do things in a different way, and we we learned to laugh about it, and, and it just adds to the fun, you know. Yeah.
1: Were you able to visit the Louvre? Have you been there?
0: Yes, I've been to the
1: Louvre several times. What was your feeling? How did that touch you emotionally when you went there? Because my first visit was very impactful. I was just amazed to be at a place that different people in different eras of time had created such beautiful things, and they had lasted. Like, these things that are in this this museum are ancient, and they've come from different societal times, different civilizations. How did it impact you when you went the first time?
0: Well, the first time I went to the Louvre, I was... Somewhere uh, it was the year I, tu- I I turned twenty at some point when that summer um, during that trip. So I was either nineteen or twenty. Got our tickets and like walked around this corner and there was this magnificent staircase.
1: Yeah.
0: And Winged Victory. Yeah. The sight of Winged Victory took my breath away. It's one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen it was a transformative experience. Yeah. If if that makes sense, it was a transformative experience. I absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that impacted me the most in my first visit to Paris in visiting the Louvre was knowing that that at one point in time was a castle and that that was where Marie Antoinette and King Louis were held prior to their execution. And then I <laughs> went and visited the, the Plaza de la Concorde and saw that area where they had been executed. And just the, the richness of the history of that area uh, was it, it left a deep impression on me because I feel like other than in Washington, D.C., and probably parts of New York City, and maybe Charleston in the South because of the Revolutionary War. It, as a whole, in the United States, we just don't have that, um, the historical places in the way that you do in Europe. W- what are your thoughts on that? How did that impact
0: you? Oh, I think it's just amazing. you know, Because here, if, if a building is 50 years old or 100 years old, we think of it as, a, as an historic building. A 100-year-old building in Europe is new. And in Italy particularly, I've seen it the most, where you stop to get a slice of pizza or you stop to admire, you know, in a, a florist shop, and you look up and there are frescoes on the ceiling yes. and you realize that this these buildings have been repurposed again and again and again. And the beauty is... Is there for everyone to enjoy, and I agree with you that that is just because we are still such a relatively young nation, we don't have that. Yeah, and here I think we see that buildings are torn down and not repurposed, mm-hmm. and I think that's a shame. I yeah. think it's a shame. Do you feel that part of what you do
1: with your antiquing is almost done away? being a preservationist?
0: Well, it's very interesting that you could say that because we were helping a young couple. They were shopping. They were moving to town, and they were shopping for a number of things. And Bob and I were helping them at an estate sale, and they were talking about how important it was to be green. And we said, well, Bob said it. He said, well, there's nothing greener than an estate sale because you're not just recycling you're upcycling. Yeah. You know, and he would show he's got such a creative mind, he would show them how you could use some things to create furniture. Yeah. And so this is something that's that you never see in the ads. You never see that perhaps some of the furniture and some of the accessories we have created from more utilitarian uh, pedestrian backgrounds and they become things of beauty and that's that again that's just part of the fun of it it is very much recycling yeah. there can be nothing greener than reusing something that instead of buying something new to buy furniture that has had another life yeah and i do think that rubs off on you you know i do think it rubs off what you, you are surrounded by things that are belong to other people, there's a real peace uh, in my heart because I feel surrounded by the spirits of, of the people, yeah. uh, of people who loved these things before I did. So again, a spirit of community and I, I guess I look for a spirit of community and um, and unity in everything I do. Is that one of the things that inspires
1: you even to this day about being involved with Delta Gamma is a spirit of community or the spirit of sisterhood?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, and of course, I was, I was trained by someone who was my mentor and who taught me to look beyond the local and to, and to see the global impact that Delta Gamma uh, was making. And, and she told me when I was young, she said, I, I see in you the ability. You have the ability to be of service to Delta Gamma, yeah. and I'd like you, I'd like you to do that because you have a lot to give, and Delta Gamma has a lot to give you. I have found that to be the underestimation of a lifetime. <laughs> because what what Delta Gamma has given me, I can never repay, yeah. but I certainly try. Yeah, I certainly try. <laughs> it is that spirit of community. And I have friends on. The, I love to stay up late at night, um, and so I have friends. I talk to my East Coast friends earlier in the day, and then later at night, I can talk to my West Coast friends. Yeah, because you know they're behind. They're a couple hours behind me, and so I can wait and talk to them. You know, Arizona, California, um, Oregon. I, I can talk to them later at night, and then we're all on the same. And then the East Coast starts back early the next morning. And so it's fun to stay in touch. And, you know, we work together, and these may be people with whom I'm working now, but also people I've worked with and traveled with uh, on behalf of Delta Gamma in the past. You know, perhaps our job together may be over, but the sisterhood is is enduring. And that that spirit of camaraderie and of joint accomplishment uh, uh, and teamwork that spirit of community is always there. And these are people I will be there for them always. And I know they are for me.
1: I love that. It's one of the things I love about being a DG. You know, I asked you the question about uh, your career and where you would see that headed in the future. What about sororities and fraternities and the Panhellenic Greek system in general? Where do you see, you know, now that you've been involved on a national level for several years, where do you see these organizations headed in the future and maybe some changes that might be on the horizon for us?
0: Well, I think that sororities and fraternities offer, you know, what you read about in print is most, mostly a social picture.
1: Yeah,
0: And that is such a small snapshot of what a sorority really is. And I think that the more people who benefit from the sorority experience, you know, the better world we will have because it is an unselfish point of view to be part of a group. And as I told you my story about uh, helping others uh, achieve their dreams, I think that we all... Um, we all benefit from that kind of mutual um, mutual ambition for one another because there are a number of things that I would have never. I, I told you that they made me dream bigger. I would have never, for example, run for president of Delta Gamma, except I had several sisters who said, "You know what? This is what." And I said, "Oh, I, I don't see that in me." And they said, well, "You know, I do." And then. Another one said, "I do." Another one said, "I do." And so they believed in me in a different way. They perceived me differently than I perceived myself. And I think we all grow from that. And I think as we as we evolve, Gen Z, and the if you look back in the his on the history of sororities, many were founded before women were able to go to universities. Yeah, women weren't allowed to go to the university. For some groups 50, 60, 70 years before they could even vote for women had the right to vote in the United States. So sororities provide a leadership training ground for women and safe spaces for female only safe spaces that aren't available anywhere else on a college campus. And I can't, I can't imagine anything combined with all the other things I've mentioned I can't Imagine anything more valuable yeah. for, for a female student than
1: It's interesting what you just mentioned because I'm not sure that most DGs have really thought about the fact that the time frame in which our fraternity was founded was the time frame when women were fighting for their right to vote and for their rights in society. Oh, it was,
0: it was way before that. Yeah. Women couldn't even own property in uh, most states. 1873, women couldn't own property in most states. And in the states where they could, except for a couple, they could own the property, but they couldn't make decisions uh, as far as the commercial aspect. nor yes. receive the money. A male family member had to do it on their behalf. So I believe that I can understand why our founders and founders of other groups came together to support one another. And from the very beginning, leadership and scholarship and service were important in all of these groups. Yes,
1: and we need and, and we are need more that. so today. We need that today. Exactly. We need that today, probably um, more than ever and in many ways that we don't realize because we're breaking new barriers. You know, we're, we're breaking down walls of discrimination. We're breaking down walls of a social status quo that I think we've all lived with for, for so long that we've become used to it. it. It is the way it is, but it's not necessarily the right way for things to be. And so I love it that we're supporting each other and Kind of breaking down these boundaries that have been there for a long time.
0: Well, are there any last thoughts? The parties have been breaking down boundaries for 150 years.
1: Yeah. If there are any thoughts that you would like to share with the younger generation, you know, just a life lesson or two, maybe that you've learned along the way. That you're like, hmm, I learned a good lesson there. I'd like to share that story. <laughs>
0: Um, I will will say that I have what I've learned from other women, from some very wise women through the years. And if you go back to the interview, you will hear it's a pattern in my life of the things that that were most helpful to me. And you mentioned that people, some people view success as people stepping on one another. Yes. I view success as, as linking your fingers together and giving somebody a leg up and helping helping them to become the best version of themselves because that what was is what was done for me. It was done for me in my family. It was done for me in my profession. And it was done for me in my and is done for me in my sorority. And so I I have always viewed that what I was to do has been to imitate that behavior and to help the people coming behind me in leadership roles in various organizations, in pharmacy, in sorority, uh, that my job is to be as available for them as other people were for me, to help them realize their potential. Yeah. Because uh-huh. we're all stronger for helping one another. Yes. Yes. Yes, it's not a race. I always tell people at, at board tables, we're marathoners, not sprinters. Yeah, you know, this is about a big picture. It's yeah. a process, not an event. We've got to look at the big at the long view of everything. And that is definitely something that I learned both in, in the pharmacy profession and having a mentor who's involved in sorority leadership. Yeah. Well but I really
1: appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today I've enjoyed talking to you and hearing about your life and I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you so much for your service to Delta Gamma
0: it is an opportunity for me to pay back in a small way so much that has been given to me by being Delta Gamma by being a part of such an incredible sisterhood and I feel the same way about, about pharmacy. Every day when I go to work, I'm paying back the many the many benefits that I have I have that have been bestowed upon me by other pharmacists and by patients. Yeah, They trusted me. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I'm getting ready to go clean house. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Absolutely, that's what we do. That is exactly what we do. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. <laughs> you too. Bye bye. For more information about this podcast and our guests, you can go to bealifewelllived dot Remember, only you can be you. Have a well lived life.